So in the 1970s, a number of, as I say, it was a worldwide movement, but in the, new in the UK, it led to a new church movement called the House Churches. You may know some of these. Salt and Light was one of those. Ichthus was one of those. New Frontiers was one of those. There were many of these movements that began in that time. And what they looked like was a lot of them were people that had come out of traditional churches to start churches. Some of them hadn't originally done that. They tried to stay in, but actually they weren't welcome, so they had to come out. And they began meeting in homes. They began just meeting in small groups to pray, to seek God, to find a new expression of Christianity, to go back to the word and go, what does the church look like? What is the purpose of the church? To restore the church. My own history would be I was in a Baptist church. As a young, young child, I was in a Baptist church. And um, my, my older sister and brother, they, they, there was a woman who lived opposite us who went to a, an evangelical free church. I didn't know what that was, but I now know that's what it was. Um, and she invited my older brother and sister to go to the youth group. And they started going to the youth group. And my mum, being the wise old lady she was, well, she wasn't old at the time, but she was old to me, your mum, she said, oh, we're not going to two different churches. We're going to join you. So we all ended up going to this church. It wasn't maybe six months, a year later. Half the church, the Baptist church that we were part of, left there and joined this church. So the first time I saw somebody, um, I suppose, expressing the charismatic, I laughed. I saw a woman dance and she couldn't dance. I was like, why do you do that? I saw her raising her hands. I was thinking, what is going on? Now, obviously, and you've got to, what I knew back then was people who were experiencing something of the Holy Spirit, who'd grown up in churches that were dead, and suddenly they were experiencing God in new ways. Dancing was what they did. It was their way of expressing. They didn't dance because they wanted to look cool in church. They didn't raise their hands because that's what you did in church. They raised their hands and they danced because suddenly there was a freedom that they were experiencing because they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I laughed when I first saw that. And so I went to this church, and it was I, I, I didn't know this now at the time, but it was very white, it was very middle class, and there were lots of things that I had to cross. I used to get sent home, yeah, from church. I used to, they didn't, I used to get in trouble a lot with the pastor. But... I saw God. I saw God. I saw something that made me go, oh, yeah, all of that, I, I don't know. I'm going to go for that. I'd go to the Downs Bible Week with 4,000 other people. I'd go to the youth work. There were maybe one other black guy. 2,000. There's one other black person there. I'm like... <laughs> but I saw God. I did. And I got a picture of the church that I'd never seen before. And I realized for myself, do you know what? I can give up stuff for this. This is what it is. I can give up stuff for this. So God began to move. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there were a lot of these new churches that were developing. But it wasn't just happening in new churches, in traditional churches. They were beginning to experience the same thing. HTB, you'll know, who began the Alpha course, was, was already on the radical edge way before Alpha. John Wimber turned up and he revolutionised the church, brought the Holy Spirit right into the centre of London. So suddenly these very, very posh people, they're laughing, they're rolling about, they're doing all these funny things. And you're like, really? Some of those groups focused on the manifestation of the gifts. I've got to be honest. 
and, and being radical and trying to be different. Others, such as New Frontiers, recognise this is about the restoration of the church. This is not about manifestation. This is not about looking like this or looking like this. This is about God restoring something that he'd always intended to restore. And that's what I grew up with. I grew up very early loving the church. Not to say I haven't had any bad experiences, but I love the church. Because Jesus loves the church. Yeah? Because Jesus died for the church. Because Jesus, Jesus approached the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and he said, why are you persecuting me? Who, who? Me. Why are you persecuting me? It was an outpouring. There was then all discussions about Ephesians 4, fivefold ministries. All these different things were, ha- were, were going on. And all the arguments were in the church. The world outside didn't really care less. Yeah? They didn't notice. We were in our own thing. One of the criticisms of the house church early on was it was all about themselves. They were into themselves. Little did people know in the heart of those leaders was mission to the world. But actually it looked all about themselves. Suddenly it became possible for radical Christians not to have to set up ministries, not to have to go on mission, because their community became mission. Their neighbours became mission. Their friends became mission. I remember thinking to myself how far we had come when I attended Spurgeon's College about 10 years ago, and they were advertising a church planting course. People never planted churches before. I remember even my old pastor saying, well, I can sort of understand why you might plant a church in where there are no churches, but why would you plant a church in Oxford when there's a perfectly good one there? Well, not everyone goes to it. Yeah? Oxford might have 150,000 people and this church is 50. Surely there's room for more. Why would you plant a church in Brixton? There are loads of churches in Brixton. The truth is, not everyone goes to them. So I got involved. For years, as I said, this, what I would call mini revival or restoration, was kept in the church. We loved one another. We loved God. We sang songs about how wonderful it was to be together. That's what we did for a while. But in truth, we weren't loving the world. We used to sing a song at our old church, for the warmth of your family, we love you, Lord. It's all about us. The grace of God, it was all about us. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not, I was all part of that. I was singing all those songs. But things began to change. And things are changing. So all those movements that began 30, 35 years ago, they're all going through transition right now. Some of them have handled that well. Others of them have struggled. New Frontiers going through a transition from, from one New Frontiers thing in the UK to five. And it's all a bit, even if you're part of it, you're like, what's happened? But what you do know is God loves the church. You see, the world around us is also changing. Growing up, the world and the church, the reality was they didn't jar. Not everyone, not everyone came to church. But when you spoke to people who didn't come to church, they almost felt a little guilty that they didn't go to church. Oh, don't go to church. Or people would send their kids to Sunday school. Yeah? 
things are changing now. You'll know this, and I know this. We don't live in a world anymore where people apologize for not coming to church. In fact, they're shocked when they find out you do. You still go to church. The churches still exist. What, people younger than 70 still go to them. People are shocked. And not only are they shocked, they mock you for it. They might not mock you directly. They might not say in your face, oh. but they write articles, they do things, they say things. It's become very, very okay to mock the church. It's become part of the way that we live. So suddenly, for the first time in my Christian history, there's a jar. There's a jar. There's a natural tension between the church and the world. Do you know what some churches do, sadly? Is they jump in with the world. You know, they take on the cultural thing. The world has moved on. We've got to move on. There's nothing in the Bible about moving on. Yeah? The only thing in the Bible we find is that to stay obedient, be obedient to Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. That's what the Bible tells us. But the world in which we live is moving on. Which, in some ways, makes church challenging. Makes it a bit more challenging than it was. Because you've got to be sure. Because you're holding on to something now. And these movements have changed. The world around us is changing. And two changes that I think are affecting us massively. Firstly, as I just mentioned, the cultural change. We've moved away from a nation that is proud that it has a Christian heritage. In fact, our nation now is a bit embarrassed by its Christian heritage. We're embarrassed that William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade, was a born-again believer who loved Jesus. We're a bit embarrassed by that. Oh, you know, well, no, let's emphasize the fact that he was a politician. Our nation is no longer proud of that heritage. We now jar. Part of that jarring is make a simple stand we make on Christian marriage. Yeah? One of the reasons we're doing a marriage day in a couple of weeks is because we're saying Christian marriage is still important. And it's even more important for the Christian to understand what does it mean to be in a Christian now? As opposed to a marriage which isn't Christian. What does it mean? What's the difference? I don't know how many of you have heard, I, I just read it over the summer, that there's, there's a new community that started in, in London called the Sunday Assembly. And it's basically the first atheist church where people gather on a Sunday, they sing songs, they hear talk, they do community, but Jesus and God are not in it. Which is why, if we simply stick to community and coffees, we miss something. Because we don't look any different. What marks us out is the presence of God. It's the Spirit of God. And that's the only thing that marks us out. It's not that we're clever. Cleverer. So we live in a world which in some ways is more tolerant, in some ways it's more fair, in some ways it's more equal, but in truth it's turned its back on God. And don't beat yourself up about that. Don't think to yourself, well, if only the church would do more. God knows. What did we sing earlier? He's got the whole world in his hands. It's true. So the first change is cultural. The second major change, I think, that affects the church going forward although I don't think we've grasped it yet, is the opportunity that diversity gives us. For me, the diversity of the church and my reading of things like Ephesians 2 
has been the single biggest revelation I've had in the last 10 years. Because it changes everything. It's changed how I think about things. The Holy Spirit did that 30 years ago. My understanding of the church did that. Then when I got diversity, it did that. It's affected my view of how the local church and its mission works. And the church, we've not yet seen the potential. Diversity for me in the church is summarised in that passage in Ephesians 2, which talks about aliens and strangers becoming friends and family, and it occurred through the blood. Yeah, that's what it talks about. And that's massive. It speaks not only of coexistence, that people sort of tolerate one another, it speaks of intimate relationships. It brings hope to a world that's fractured on difference. We're fractured on difference, the world in which we live. Whether it be cultural, class, or race, or wealth, we're fractured on difference. And yet the Bible gives us this picture that says in the church you can be united. You can be in intimate fellowship with people who otherwise you would have no time for. That's why in a church like Beacon, we focus on Jesus. Because he's the one to which we come for that unity. We don't come for that unity for some new program that we've set up. We don't have any new program. Yeah? We come to Jesus. We worship Jesus. We preach the Bible. That's all we do. Because that's the thing that pulls us together. Secondly, diversity, I've got to be honest, it's redefined how I see mission. It's redefined it. And I, I, Pauline and I talk about this, and she raises her eyebrows because I can never quite communicate it right. And she's probably thinking now, I mean, don't go, are you sure you want to go there? But it has, it's redefined it for me. And it's redefined it because although our country has moved away from God, God still has his heart here. He really does. The UK is one of the best places to build a diverse church. It's one of the easiest places to live if you're, if you're not from here, which is why people leave far end of Eastern Europe, travel all the way through Europe, through other westernized countries, and they end up here. Why do they do that? It's easier to live here. It's easier to be here. And so we have people in this city, we have people in Brixton, for everywhere, all over the world. Steve and Emma were telling me how they were praying, because they, they both speak Spanish and have been all to different places. They were praying that God would send Spanish speakers to our church. People who speak Spanish. No, I don't speak any Spanish. Ciao, is that a Spanish word? <laughs> no, it's not even a Spanish word. <laughs> so you know I don't speak Spanish. But we do have people who do speak Spanish. We do have people from other lands who speak Spanish or speak French. It's not just that you and I might have learned it at school. We have other people. And when I was at King's, I saw a picture. I saw a picture because a friend of mine from Ghana, he came up to me and he said to me, Owen, I want to plant a church like King's Church in Ghana. I want to go home and that's what I want to do. And I'm like, oh God. God. Because do you know it would be easier for him to do it in some ways? He was leading a church in Ghana which was reaching unreached people groups in that land. And then he came to the UK. I pray that God would send us people from other nations who want to go back. And that God would give us the ability to equip and encourage them and send them back 
to plant grace and spiritual change. Some of you may well go, but we have a unique opportunity, being where we are, to reach the world. To reach the world. Not just to reach a few neighbours here, to reach the world. Because you know what? A lot of people who come here want to go back. Some can't, some don't, a lot do. The world is changing. And God has blessed a place like London with this ability. There aren't many places in the world that you can reach the world from. But we are one of them. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. So my appeal this morning, as I'm just going to finish, is folks, it's about the church. God has restored the church in order that his name might go out. In order that places which currently have no witness find witness. And it doesn't even need you to go there. It needs you to pray for your neighbour who will go there. It's the hope, it's the answer to the problems of the world. Yes, the world is running away from the church. We're neither going to run from the world, but neither are we going to run from God. We're going to hold on. Read the story of Acts. A church was born at Pentecost. It was scattered through persecution, and it regrouped in various places all over the world. One of them here in Brixton. It's regrouped. The church was more than a project. It was more than a one-man ministry or a one-mission thing. You know, in the church, you need to love the poor. But let me be honest, it's not all just about the poor. The gospel is genuinely for everyone. It's a message to change the world. You read the scripture, you find that. Jesus talked about rich young rulers as much as he talked about the poor widow. It's interesting that in the scripture, when Jesus gives that story of the widow, he doesn't say she shouldn't give to the temple. He watches her give. You don't hear him say, no, 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 don't give to the church. They don't give anything to you. Why? Because to him, giving to the church was giving back to God. That's how he had ordained it. That's how he had set it up. See, we're called to build a church. We're called to love Jesus. And we can only do it because he's given us his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you've just been with us this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy upon us. Father, I pray that from everything we've heard this morning that you would enable us to take that which is useful for our growth this week. I pray that what we would have heard will be food for us. I pray, Father, that you would have imparted something to us from John's prayer about going out, reaching out. And Father, I pray, you know, God, my prayer is that we would get the church. We would get it. We would get what you're trying to do. We will get your plan. Lord, I pray you would go with us now, each one, in Jesus' name.